My name is Richard Morellis, and I want to welcome you to The Prison Post. This is your podcast for conversations surrounding the need to reform prisons from the perspective of formerly incarcerated people, community members, and leaders in the restorative justice movement. The Prison Post will feature an episode every Wednesday with people who are in the fight to restore lives and heal communities. And we're back. Welcome to The Prison Post. My name is Richard Morellis. I'm with my dear friend, my brother, uh, my confidant, my partner, James Willock in the house today. We're on our second Men Built for Others uh, episode. We had Robert Esquivel last time. He uh, definitely uh, shared a profound story um, of transformation, somebody who was sentenced to 38 years to life. And today we got James with us. James has uh, been my friend for at least uh, 11 years, a long time. We were incarcerated together in Soledad. Um, and uh, his book, his uh, story is featured in chapter four of Been Built for Others. Uh, really, really profound story. We got some of it today on my computer and James is going to reflect back and share that. But welcome to the show, brother. Thank you, brother. It's a pleasure to be here. And the last time I seen James, we haven't we haven't put out a show in a minute because a lot of our audience don't know that I uh, was blessed, blessed, super blessed to get married on October sixteenth. Congratulations uh, to my to my lovely bride Brenda, and um, we had a great time. James was one of my groomsmen, and uh, we had a lot we had a lot of fun. We yeah. we all know James is big game. James not only was he a premier athlete back in the day, maybe not so much today. <laughs> no, not today. <laughs> but but he was a premier athlete, and not only that, but no matter what he does, he puts his full heart, soul, effort, and uh, a job like uh, in a warehouse or something like that wouldn't have been suited for him. He's a he lives his life continuously as a man built for others. And um, that's just part of his way of being. It would, life would be miserable unless he was giving. So thank you for being a giver. Thank you for being my groomsman. Thank you for dancing down that aisle. Oh, that was beautiful. And uh, taking part in the Harlem Shake. I'll be putting them videos out shortly so yeah. some of the uh, followers of the Prison Post could see. Yeah. No, it was a beautiful night, beautiful whole what whole weekend. It, it was awesome. It was amazing. I was uh, super excited to be part of it. I appreciate that, man. Thank yeah. you. It was awesome. My parents love you. They're like, how's big game James doing? Yeah. They're checking in on you. And um, yeah. oh, uh, Chris Gooden was supposed to be here today like him. And it's just, yeah. it feels good to have all my family know my friends. Uh, a lot of people say that you have uh, relatives in this world and you have family. And mm. Uh, so you're my family, brother. Well, Glad I, you're here. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, um, growing up, I didn't have a lot of close um, family relations um, that I was close to. So, and then going to group homes, um, I adopted more of a, that kind of concept, especially growing up in prison. And I say growing up in a prison because I was still a youth. I was still a kid when I went to prison. And so, obviously, I met a lot of people like you, like Ted, like um, Jason Bryant, that are my brothers, and um, goes way beyond blood. Absolutely. Now, you um, you uh, are actually from the Sacramento area, right? Yes, sir. Born and raised right here in uh, Sacramento, California, um, one of the many ghettos here. You know. <laughs> Which one? You care sharing? No, I don't mind. Uh, um, Del Paso Heights. Del Paso I was, Heights. Yeah, I was born and raised in Del Paso Heights when um, it was still a little country. And uh, you were at one time at 19 years old, sentenced to 34 to life? Yeah, 34 years of life. At 19? At 19. And what was it like coming back from 19 and you served how long? Uh, I served 28 years and 10 months. Yeah, 10 months. Yeah. You can't forget those 10 <laughs> no, months. No, that was a long, that's 10 months, a long time, yeah. especially behind concrete. Man. But 10, 28 years, 10 months, and then you come back, and I was actually with you the day that I think we were, we were together the first day we drove back into Del Paso Heights. 
Yeah, we were. You had you had uh, some kind of um, connection with the guy that was speaking at a homeless um, youth um, center. And I hadn't really came back into Del Paso Heights at that time because I was still in a transitional house out in Woodland, California. And um, you had invited me to come because it was in Del Paso Heights. You remembered that that's where I was from. And you said, hey, how would you like to come speak? And, man, I, it was amazing. You know, yeah. I couldn't wait to come. As soon as we hit the streets, they looked the same, but they looked different. And um, it was just an op and op uh, awesome opportunity to connect with those youth. Yeah, you did know? you find that... <sighs> A lot of times while we're incarcerated, a lot of those memories of the are gone. And then you might see a street or a store or a block. And mm -hmm. then all of a sudden you're like, boom, all these memories come back that you had forgotten. Yeah, no, no, definitely. It's a lot of places in Sacramento in general, but even in Del Paso Heights where I had walked, rode my bike, you know, and just been so much that I, I just don't remember. And then... I find myself driving down the street and I'd be like, oh man, I used to live there, you yeah. know, and, or oh, I, I used to play at that park and just some memories would come back to me. Yeah. Yeah. Now what about, I mean, this is, we have people on the show 25 years, 26 years, 28 years. Um, it's a tremendous amount of time. It's a long, long time. All of our twenties for me, all of my twenties, all of my thirties for you, all your twenties, thirties and, and down up until 46 years old. Right. No, um, I'm a little older, but 47, 48, <laughs> something you, like that. Until you got out. <laughs> um, yeah. But what is it? We look back, and for me, it seems like, did that really happen? I mean, it was a, it was a long, long time to be there. When you look back and, and think about just 15 months ago, you got out in July of 2020. Um, what comes to your mind? I mean, you ever wake up in the morning and be like, is this for real? No, yeah, no, definitely um, both. Like, Sometimes you sit there and wonder, like, man, was I really in prison? Because you're so engaged in your life out here. But believe me, real, real fast, you'll you'll remember that you were in prison. Um, but yes, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's crazy. It's hard to describe. Um, but definitely never going to forget I, I was in prison um, and never want to forget I was in prison. However, um, I do want to take advantage of this life and um, that I've been blessed with the second time. Um, most people in life don't get a chance to live two lives. You know, even the ones that never go to prison, they're out here consumed with jobs, with raising families, and they don't have time to reconstruct their life and go again. And um, we got the opportunity to go again. So we definitely want Absolutely. to take advantage of it. I think about those who who have always been free or at least physically free, and they never haven't gone to prison. And sometimes some of their fears for us are, you know, PTSD, or they mm. wonder, man, how does that affect him today? You know, is he walking around, you know, mm. all affected? But I, I think you mentioned something a minute ago that is the key to being free and letting it go and mm. not letting it, uh, the length of time of incarceration and being there in that type of environment affect you. It, the key is service. Oh, yes, definitely um, service. Um, it's like what we did as soon as we got out, you know, um, so we talked about it on the first prison post. I was I was sent because of COVID and because of space. I was sent to a, a sober living environment right. in, in Woodland. And they also have a part of their program that was um, a transitional house. And so I had to wait a couple months before I could go there. And, you know, I didn't want to be there. Um, 
I shouldn't be there and I didn't want to be there. And they weren't designed to help me and assist me because they were dealing with people that were coming off the streets with alcohol addictions, with drug addictions. And that's what their primary concern was. So they didn't really didn't know how to deal with lifers who had came out, who had already did a lot of work with themselves. And even though I didn't want to be there, um, I put myself in a position to um, add value to the guys that were coming in and out. And I did it in such a way that eventually when I moved to the back, um, they hired me, you know, um, to be a residential specialist there. And that was my second job because I had already had a first job working in a warehouse. But um, it's just about service, you know, wherever you show up. Um, I think it's a great quote. Um, it goes something like, um, grow where you're planted. And um doesn't matter where you're at. doesn't matter, you know, what your circumstances is around you. You can find some way to add value to other people's lives. And that's what I just strive to do. Yeah. As a, as a natural way of being and, but maybe you didn't always think that way. No, know? no, I, I, I didn't. Um, when, when I was younger, I mean, you know, a little bit about my story. And so, uh, when I, you know, I trained myself to, you know, um, get what I could get because there was no resources uh, around me. And so I felt I had to get what I can get. I wasn't thinking about other people. I was real selfish and, um, as I progressed, you know, and, and went through some things in prison and transformed my thinking and my belief system, all that shifted. And um, so I started finding myself and not finding myself, that's passive, but I was intentional about putting myself in, in positions to be of service to people in prison as well as out of prison, even while I was in prison. And isn't that one of the ways that someone can trans transform their life, whether you're, you're on the inside or out here, is... Uh, Stop thinking about, well, what if I find myself in this job and maybe I'll do this and maybe I'll do that using terminology like that and say, you know what, I'm going to get intentional. Yeah, no, no, definitely. You have to be intentional. Um, there was a lot of guys that were at the transitional house with me that probably might not even still have jobs to this day, you know, and they were okay with that, looking for a perfect job, um, waiting for an opportunity, believing somebody owed them something because they got a couple of degrees in college, not understanding that there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of people out here with degrees that don't have jobs. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, you, you, we're not owed anything. And so what I try to do is just be intentionally, and I did it while I was there. Um, no one was giving me callbacks when I first started applying for jobs. So I went to a, um, a temp agency and got a job through them because I was like, I'm not going to sit around and wait. I'm, I'm going to work. And so there's jobs out there. Exactly. They're, yeah. they're everywhere right now. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, in fact, one of our philosophies is that even they are being intentional. Yeah. <laughs> no, they are being intentional yeah. about doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Even when the purpose says, uh, my, my, I don't have a purpose in my life right now. Mm -hmm. Sure you do. Your yeah. purpose is to have no purpose. Exactly. <laughs> so James, take us back to your, your, your chapters, uh, chapter four in men built for others. Uh -huh. And I, when I was reading the introduction earlier to it again, it said that two of your heroes are Anne Frank mm -hmm. and Nelson Mandela. Yeah. yeah. What's so, the connection to Anne, Anne Frank? Cause I, well, I remember that book, the diary Anne Frank. And, yeah. So if you read that book, um, it is very, very powerful. And most people skim over it. Um, they might not really understand it because she was, you know, a young girl. However, if you really um, like delve into the story and her, her entries in, in it, when they were in that house, she was in a little tiny little room. I mean, it was small, you know, her little space was smaller than this room. The, their whole apartment was no bigger than where we're at right now. Um, so she was basically in a little cell. Um, she was, you know, 
at the verge of teenagency, uh, being a teenager, um, having the different feelings, being in school, starting to be attracted to boys. And so when she's doing that, you think about these youngsters out here now, when, when she was going through all that, she's still, and at the verge of death, any day that their door could be kicked down, they would be dragged away and executed. And even in those moments, she was being about the people around her. You know, like, how can I make Christmas better for these people and putting together gifts and, and putting on plays, trying to make other people happy. And um, it, it was just so amazing to me that somebody that young of age with all that surrounded by all that could still be that way. And I thought about my life. And when I was young, I was the opposite. Like, and I was like, wow, that that's incredible. So I know it could be done. So let me transform my life to be more like hers. That's deep. Speaking of that, um, we have a lot of parents of incarcerated people that are watching the show. Um, I get calls at crop organization from mothers, uh, fathers, sisters, wives. They talk about their brother. They talk about their husband, their boyfriend, their son that's still incarcerated. And they see some of the guys, crop organization, you know, they see you and Jason and, and some of the other guests that we have on, um, even from success stories and just different uh, friends of ours. And, and they see like, man, these guys are really, really, really doing good things. They're, 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 they're being of service. They got jobs and maybe it's hard for them to get that at one time we weren't that way. You know, yeah. they think oh, these guys are probably squares in prison. Mm -hmm. and, and I know that, uh, one of the, uh, quotes that I wanted you to read from the book, Men Built for Others, I have it pulled up right here on my computer. You might want to put your glasses on. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate you pointing that out. I was going to try to do a slick. Okay. It's right there. Right. And, um, and, and you said this in the book. Yeah. And so, so people know that, uh, you know, you aren't always big game James and out in the community, but uh, you had a little background in the first 20 years in prison. Yes. Um, so I've now been in prison for 25 years. And for about the first 20 years, this was who I was committed to being. I've had 16 rule violation reports, write-ups, ranging from disrespecting staff, possession of cell phones, um, perpetrating violence, and possession inmate manufactured weapons. I have also received five less serious write-ups called 128s, informational chronos that staff need to be noted in my file. And I've been um, placed in disciplinary isolation units three times. I made a lot of superficial changes over my first 20 years of incarceration, but I maintained the same belief system. Even though I wasn't actively engaged in serious, violent crime, I continued to think and behave criminally. I used my beliefs about the system being corrupt, racist, and oppressive to justify why it was okay for me to break the rules. What would you say about, what would, what would I say about that today? Um, so yeah, so um, that, that's what we do, you know. Um, we, we can always look at the system. We can always look at, at different, you know, way people treat us and, you know, find fault. And some of it's true. You know, a lot of it's true. And people are still surviving. People are still thriving, even in those systems. So why am I choosing to break the rules? And like you said, we are intentional about it. So I'm in, we, I was intentional back then looking for the evidence to justify. So I didn't seem like a bad guy. Well, I'm only committing crimes because the system is messed up. And so that's who I was back then, you know, um, also, one of the things that um, I didn't talk about in, in the book <clears throat> at that time was the confidential file where, um, you know, the goon squad, which is the STG or what is it? Um, well, the security squad of the prison had put, you know, yeah, um, um, uh, internal security 
group, I guess. Yeah. IS internal security unit. That's it right there. So they they had put, you know, a couple of reports in my file um also, you know, and you know, some of it wasn't true. Um, but that could at that luckily for me, or I'm gonna say fortunately for me at that time, I had already transformed my life. And so when they did that, it didn't that wasn't evidence I needed to go back and commit crimes or, or do things that would have kept me in prison and I continued to do the work. And I, I decided then that people would have stereotypes about me, people would think things about me because of my past. But how I'm gonna combat that is I'm gonna show up how I show up and eventually other people will see that that's not the truth. Yeah. And uh for you it was um, I use the broken system as an excuse, but for everybody who's who's in prison outside of that rare guy who changes his life day one in the county jail, which I haven't met him yet. Yeah, no. <laughs> right. But but outside of that, you know, everybody's using some kind of excuse. Yeah. You know, well, this happened and, and and that's why I'm still doing drugs in here. Mm. That's why I still, you know, you have to go with the with the flow with gang banging in mm. here or else there's consequences and 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 everybody's using something. Yes. And then people ask me all the time, you know, what is the number one thing that they need to change their life? What is the number one thing that, that could be done to change their life? And I always say thinking, thinking. Yeah. They think, well, get drug treatment. Well, what would that do? It would, at best, it'll help with your thinking. Mm. But if you can transform your thinking, and the reason why I brought up the second uh, quote that I wanted you to share, because mm. it speaks to your thinking. All right. So, and then with two fingers, you can scroll up. But... I remember, I, I I remember knowing uh, you a little bit from mm-hmm. the early days before your transformation, and maybe I didn't, you know, know you at know all your glory with the sixteen one fifteens, but mm-hmm. you know, uh, but I remember seeing, you know, a totally different person. And to this day, I tell my family like James is the most transformed person that I ever met, mm-hmm. and um, and it's true, you know, just the way the way that you live your life, you know, giving person. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a friend a while back who got sick and fell down. And I remember uh, you, it was the first day you ever met her mm-hmm. and you picked her up in your arms and carried her up the stairs till we can get her some medical help. And he just stepped, snapped into place and did it and didn't have to think about it. Mm-hmm. And once somebody's thinking is transformed like that, it's a natural expression of who you are. Yeah. So the true transformation for family members and loved ones who are listening and saying, what does my loved one got to do? It, it just comes to the thinking. It's just a choice away. Yeah. And, and, and thanking. Yes, definitely. And I believe though that, um, it's like layers. I mean, we have our thinking controls our actions, right? Like you said, if I'm thinking a certain way and I see something, just like you said, our friend who's, who's on the ground, I'm automatically going to react and and pick her up. But before that is a a belief system that we have because our belief system controls our thinking, Mm -hmm. right? I think a certain way because I believe a certain way. And so it's challenging my beliefs. And so I had adopted certain beliefs and I fed those beliefs. And like we talked about, I look for evidence to confirm those beliefs all through. So if it was the system, okay, I'll look and I'll see the news where a police officer shot an unarmed man. I said, see, you know, the whole system is wrong. If it was in prison, you know, we'd see a guard who had somebody hemmed up on the wall um, for no reason. You know, it was just being a, a, a jerk. And we say, see, all COs are bad. So now I'm feeding that belief. So now what comes with that belief is a certain thinking, right? Thinking that they're bad. They're no good. Not going to help them. They're not whatever that thinking is. And so uh, again, that's how, you know, we have to combat that. Um, And and what do you, what, what does one do uh, who's unaware of their belief patterns? 
You, you, you get aware by looking at the results you're getting in your life. And, and the results can be how, how you're showing up, your relationships. You know, if you're constantly um, getting arrested, you know, you might want to start thinking about what's putting me here. What, what, what's, what's this thinking? Um, what are my beliefs? Yeah, what, are, what, are, what are my beliefs? You know, um, if you're constantly um, getting divorced, you know, if you're constantly, um, you know, having bad relationships, you know, it's not everybody all the time. You know, you might want to start looking at yourself and then questioning your thinking. Like we have this thing and, and you know, it is called internal conversations, you know, competing conversations where we have these voices going on in our head. Those are our thoughts telling us, you know, this or that. And you need to start listening to those and say, hey, you know what? Why am I thinking like that, man? What could be a person's belief who thinks something like this? You know, because even if you're not doing the action, like if you're always sitting there saying, you know, if we weren't in this situation or if I wasn't who I was, I'd sock you in the mouth. You know, well, that's your thinking. And so you have a certain belief. That's why you're thinking like that, that it's okay to sock somebody in the mouth. So you might want to start challenging those thoughts. Yeah. And, uh, and, th and that comes with challenging the belief first. First, becoming aware of what you believe yeah, that has led to this thinking, yeah. that has led to these actions, yeah. identifying those beliefs, and then saying, do I want to continue to believe this way for the rest of my life based on the results that I'm getting from the, this type of belief? Or what if I believe something new? What exactly. else is possible to believe? Exactly. And, and the great thing about that is I know certain people don't feel like they can change their beliefs, but I would challenge anybody, whether they're in a prison or outside of prison, that at one point in your life, you've changed some of your beliefs. Of course. And, and I don't care if it was Santa Claus and put your kids to sleep, <laughs> Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, you know, whatever it was, if you thought, if you believe you were going to be an NBA star and now you're working at Costco's, you know, whatever it is, right. you, you change some beliefs. And so I'm saying you can change any belief. Well, some people, uh, they'll say like, that's just how I am. Okay, well, again, um, if you choose to be that way, then that is exactly how you'll be. But I'm, I'm suggesting that you can change anything. As you know, you, you said you knew me, and most people consider me an angry person. Really, it wasn't that I was angry. I was just a hurt individual, and I didn't know how to express my emotions, so it came out as anger. Right. And but most people, that's how my way of being was. I don't I don't believe and I might be wrong. I might be naive because um, I don't always walk around with a mirror. But I don't believe you can find too many people that knew me for the last, you know, I say 15 years that say I'm an angry individual anymore. No. You know, and so you can definitely transform who you are. They say loving and giving. Yeah. Friendly. Uh, so. And that, and that was the second thing that I wanted you to share that you read in the book for our listeners uh, after you had changed your beliefs. All right. So I remember reading what you wrote when you said, in the past, I look for other people and circumstances to blame, blame for my crimes and actions. I blame others because like many other human beings, I was afraid. I was afraid to take responsibility, afraid to see myself as weak, wrong, or bad. Yet it was only through um, taking um, responsibility that I have found the power to transform myself in the situations in my life. And, and so it, it's a lot more, but I, I remember it. And um, it's like I tell people, um, responsibility to me equals power. And so I'm not saying that the system doesn't have flaws. I'm not saying that other human beings don't have flaws and can do things to you. What I'm saying is, though, the more I'm responsible, the more I can change the outcome. So if I don't like certain outcomes, then I take I, I try to I ask myself, what role did I play in that? you know, in, in this interaction? And then I, I find some power so I don't have that same situation happen again. You know, and, right. and that's what power is. Um, I mean, responsibility is is, is power. Exactly. And, and what you're saying 
isn't just positive thinking because positive thinking without positive actions. Um, what yeah. I, what I hear you talking about is the outcomes, the results. Yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. I'm not talking, like you said, I'm not talking Pollyannish, you know, oh, everything's going to be great. It'll work out. You know, no, that's what I'm not. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about doing some work to figure some things out and you have to be intentional with that, you know? So let's talk about today. I mean, I mean, it's a profound story in the book. And um, what about Mandela? What was your connection to Mandela? But chapter four, Men Built for Others, you can find it on Amazon. Yeah. You can find it on, uh, what's that? So it's tar Target. You can buy it on Target, Barnes and Noble. But I've never met anybody who's read Men Built for Others, and you were just promoting it the other night. Yeah. Most people say, I haven't read a book before, or this is, or I read this book in one day. Most people say that they got emotional. Yeah. And it's all, it's for almost every story. And um, so, uh, just before we transition to how you're, how you have segued all of that to the life that you're living today. What about Mandela? I've never really asked you that. What was your connection there? Well, so Mandela, most people don't really realize that, um, right before he went to prison, he did adopt. Um, he, he, uh, he was okay with a little violence. Let's put it that way. If you really study his life at the end, he he didn't see the the peaceful um, way working anymore, and he was willing to adapt, um, you know, a more violent way of protest and, and making their points because they were severely getting oppressed. And the only reason I bring that up is not to discredit him or anything, but just to show where his mindset was right mm -hmm. at that time. And now here he goes to prison, you know, for all these years, you know what I'm saying? We talking about some prison, they're out there. Oh, you got to take a boat, they're on a rock. I mean, you know, it, it's incredible um, how they were treated, you know. Um, and through all that, he goes through all that time and continues to build himself, um, who he was as a human being. And he got out and was elected president, president of his country. And instead of inflicting harm and wrong on the people that oppressed him and oppressed his people, he chose a nonviolent way. He chose a forgiving way and he chose a uniting way instead of dividing and keep like, now you guys go over there. No, he found ways to unite the whole country and everybody. And I just found that amazing. And um, we, we look over here like, Democrats and Republicans, you know, um, everybody talks about, you know, how they're going to do things differently. But as soon as one of them gets power, you know, the country's divided in another way again, just over a different issue, you know. Um, and he, he 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 tried to unite a whole country even after everything he had been through. So the reason why I adopted that is because I didn't get framed for my crime. You know, I committed my crime. Um, I did many other crimes before I went to uh, prison at a very early age. And um, so I was really a bad person. And I went through time in prison just like he did, and I wanted to come out just like he did, someone who was a healer and a giver. And so that's how I relate to Nelson Mandela. That's deep. That's deep. And you guys almost did uh, exact sentences. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, James, so today I know about some of your work out here. I'll have you segued being a man built for others. I mean, there was only so many people, there's 11 stories in this book mm. and um, you were one of them. I mean, we could not go without your story in the book, but you're out here doing similar things, applying these principles, doing some of these lessons that you're sharing a micro micro bits of today, mm. sharing them with the youth. Would you share some of the work that you're doing today after 15 months of being out, as opposed to some 
some ideas uh, that people may have out there in the world about the formerly incarcerated. They just go back to drugs and alcohol <laughs> and crime and all that. How do you spend your days? Well, so I, I'll take you all the way back. So when I first got out, as you know, um, I was in, you know, like I said, I was in a sober living environment. And so what I did inside the sober living environment was get hooked up so I can do the um, Zooms to, uh, on um, exercises, empathy um, back inside the prison and take part in that. I volunteered there to run some of their classes, you know, anger management, um, um, some substance abuse programs that they had going on in there. I, I would help out, you know, when one of the counselors couldn't make it or something like that. Um, I went to the back. I got a job right away at a Walgreens distribution center graveyard shift. Um, at the same time I was doing that, I started taking a program here in Sac. So I had to commute back and forth from Woodland to Sacramento, um, and stay awake long enough to do it. Mm -hmm. But a pre-apprentice program, um, for my organization called People Working Together. And the reason why I wanted to take their pre-apprentice program, I don't want to be in construction. However, um, one of the guys who started it, um, Kevin Brown, when he gave his introduction to us, he told us, you know, I'm not about transi transitional relationships. You know, you got to do something for me before I can do something for you. I just want to do something for you guys. And um, part of their program it talked a little about, about construction, but it was mainly about, you know, um, self-awareness, leadership, um, credit scores, you know, just giving you all this information. So once you started making money in construction, then you could be successful. So I was doing both of those at the same time. As soon as I graduated from that program, I went to work with Cash Creek um, and became a residential specialist. So I was working both jobs until the, I couldn't do both anymore because I started working graveyards there also. So as soon as I got rid of that, um, that other job, I found another job out here in Sacramento with mutual assistance network. Um, and it's a, a mutual assistance network is a community resource center. They have a couple locations throughout Sacramento. They run a lot of programs in Sacramento, mainly involving, um, youth and, and just families in need diaper distribution, food, um, community outreach, finding housing, finding clothing. Um, and one of the things that I do for them is mentor youth. Um, as part of that, um, um, that one of their programs, I got introduced to the Sacramento Kings and I coached the Sacramento Kings Youth League um, basketball league, um, Kings and Queens rise. It's a co-ed basketball girls and boys. So that's like one of the highlights of my time that's out awesome. because I got to like really impact and, and, and be part of these young people's lives in a positive way as a coach, because we see too many examples of like wins over character. Right. And I did it the opposite. I had read a great book inside of prison. that I think every youth coach should read. It's called um, inside out coaching by J Joe Ehrman. And um, that's my philosophy philosophy for, for how I did it. Um, they, they great kids. So anyways, that was one of my highlights. So I did that. And one of the things I also do for mutual assistance network, it's called crisis response and it's through black child legacy campaign. And, um, you can look it up online. And so what it is around seven, eight years ago, they did a study and they found that blacks were dying at a higher rate than any other SNDC in Sacramento. So they, they came up with seven key locations that wow. they were dying at, seven neighborhoods around Sacramento, Del Paso Heights, Oak Park, just being a couple of them. And so then they, they decided like, okay, what are the, the main causes? One being third party homicide. Um, there's a, there's four of them. Um, third party homicide, you know, there's um, child neglect and, and abuse, you know, and so they came up with these programs to try to lower those rates and they've been successful in that. 
And so one of the things I do is I show up to crisis. And um, I can give you a couple examples um, without saying names or anything. Um, but a couple nights ago, they had a Halloween party in Sacramento at a, at a you know, club. It was on the news. And they had a big shooting, 15 minutes worth of shooting. And two people were dead and like seven other people were wounded afterwards. Dang. So um, I show up to scenes like that. So you get a call? We got, I get a call, you know, whether it's, you know, three, four in the morning, whatever time it is, I'll get a call. Say, Eating dinner with your family? It doesn't matter. I'll Are be you on at, call right now? Yes. That's why I got my phone sitting right here. Um, and I've been with you guys before. You know, we were just hanging out and yeah. I told you, hey, we're like, hey, we're going to ride together. And I said, I can't. I got to take my own car because, you know, I might have to roll out. Or if I do, I tell you guys in advance, hey, somebody might have to take me because I got 30, 30 minutes to get there because we want to get there as soon as we can. And um, what we do is we wrap around, you know, the victims. Um, we try to support them, whether it be grief counseling, whether it be on the, on the, on the scene. Um, they need something, whether it be water, whether it be food, we'll go to hospitals um, and we'll just try to get them as many services as we can to help them. Um, we, I like that term, wrap around. Yeah, well, so. we call it wrap around because sometimes you have certain agencies that only do one thing, you know, like the police. They come, they do what they do. Right. But after that, they leave, they take down the yellow tape and then they're gone. So now what about the family that's sitting there grieving? Mm -hmm. So when we say wrap around, we try to like, well, whatever needs to be done, we're going to do it. And we've been invited and people have really, because we've done so much for them, they wanted us to um, come to funerals and help bury their babies. Um, we find money um, to, to help with that as well as show up for them if they need us there. Um, and just, just things like that. And, so those, those are those are some of the things. Um, but other crises, it, it, they might look different, whether it's a young young man or young woman trying to commit suicide or, or whatever it is. If it's a shooting, you know, we show up. And again, doesn't matter the time um, of day. You know, we show up. We showed up to the shootings, uh, all these shootings that have been happening and stabbings in um, Old Sac, you know, um, so, yeah, um, we showed up at a school the other day because the school was on lockdown because someone had been seen with a weapon. So uh, one of the other things that we try to do also, though, because the public doesn't really know the policies and procedures of hospitals, mm -hmm. of police officers, what we try to do is we try to learn these procedures and we try to get a relationship so we can help our communities um, better so we try to understand what, why they do what they do. So then we could explain it to, um, you know, the victims and their families. So like if we're at a hospital and they're on a lockdown and they're telling them they can't tell them if their loved one is in there or not, you know, they're real emotional. They just follow the ambulance. They know they're in there. But the reason why they do that is because they don't want retaliation, you know, so for security reasons, they can't tell people that that person is in there. Right. Um, so we explain that to them. We try to, you know, comfort them, calm them right. down. We get them a counselor or whatever. And then if we're at the scene when we're um, the police have it roped off. Um, I just came from a training earlier. Um, unprecedented. They um, allowed us access to um, and gave us PowerPoints on why they do what they do, certain things. So the other night when we were there, um, one of the victims was laying, actually laying in the parking lot mm. and they couldn't cover him up. And so the family wants to know why, you know, they're grieving. And the reason why they couldn't cover him up is because then they would taint the evidence, mm. you know, because, you know, um, 
you don't know if something's on them, you know, there's some, some way to identify or whatever. So the family doesn't know that though. So we just try to, you know, let them know that so they'll have less conflict and then they won't, you know, get arrested or, or anything like that happen. Um, so yeah, that's, that's some of the stuff that um, I'm doing now. Yeah. It might be on the five o'clock news that look at, look at the lack of compassion yeah. and not knowing that there's a, a policy there yeah. where they could lead to finding the person who did this. And, um, so I, I love that, that you're, that you're informed that you're informed and then you're able to inform the family members. And what, what, what do you say to the person who says, James, man, you did a uh, 28 years, man. Uh, you were, you were in there and now you're going out to the shootings, you're going out to, you're on the front lines of, of the work in the community. You know, you ever, you ever, you ever want to like get away from that or, um, you know, are you ever worried? And, you know, after all that time in there, what about just living your life and, Apart from that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, um, it's interesting. Well, I got, I'll, I'll come back to that question, but I'll, I got more questions about why I did something when on July 27th um, of this year, we went back to Solidar State Prison on the invitation, you know, from the warden. And yeah. we went back in so we could meet with a group of, of men and talk about a program that we were going to do there. So when I went back inside the prison as a civilian, they were like, well, what, what are you thinking? You know, because when we leave prison, <laughs> that's the first thing we say. I ain't never coming back. Yeah, I ain't never, never coming back. back. Even the ones that are going to commit crimes, they say, I ain't never coming back. So you went back but, a year later. Yeah, I went back a, le- a year and, th- and three days later. And, um, you know, it, it was amazing. It, it felt right. Um, we got to see... Um, some of the men that we had did work with that we continue to do work with that are just waiting for the opportunity to come out because there's a lot of transformed men inside of prison right now that the only reason they're not out is because they haven't had their chance yet. And right. so, you know, we, we, we went back to not just have that conversation with them, but to, you know, give them hope that like, look, this is, this could be you, you know, we're out here living these lives and this will be you. You know, if you keep working, you keep doing what you're supposed to be doing, you'll be out here. And even the ones that haven't transformed their lives and, and are like us back in the day when we like, man, ain't nobody getting out of prison or, or yeah. he got out. But I'm never getting out because, right. like you said, most people think that the only people that get out were people that were squares, people that never had 115s or whatever. So I want to go back because I want to show them that, no, I don't care what you've been doing in here if you decide to transform your life, you can get up out of here. That's right. You can work your way out of prison. And um, so it, it felt great to do that. Also felt great to um, see the staff, um, COs and, and free staff, some on both sides. And what I mean by that is some that had encouraged us, some that, you know, helped us um, with the programs that right. we were running and let them know, like, your your work and, and your trust in us wasn't in vain. And we're, we're doing great things out here. And then for the other ones that thought, you know, oh, man, you know, you know, once a prisoner, always a prisoner, whatever. So they can see us walking down the hallway with the warden and be like, huh, all right, eat those words, you know, because people are in here and they have transformed. And some of them haven't committed a crime in 30 or 40 years. Right. You know, you out here running red lights, drunk driving <laughs> and all, all kind that. of stuff. And they ain't in here doing nothing. Right. You know, so. How are you going to judge them? You know what I mean? And so that 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 felt great to go back in there. But I got those questions. Why are you going back inside of prison? You know, right. and so that's why I tell them, you know, this is why this is my passion. And the same thing with the work out here. But I am a human being. And so I, I do want to say that. So I do find myself needing time for myself and I take a break. And, um, you know, my agency, um, 
they know the work we do is heavy. And so they'll tap in with me all the time. Hey, man, you just responded to, you know, three or four um, shootings. You've been doing this or doing that with these youngsters. Take a take take a couple of days, you know, don't don't come in, you know, and um, we got you, you know. And so uh, I yeah, do. I remember I called you one time and uh, yeah, and I don't I don't remember what it's for, but I was I think I was making a request mm-hmm. or sharing something. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I'm glad you called because here's like the. Here's what my day looked like in the last two days. With yeah, yeah. A couple and, of deaths. and mm, Yeah, and it was good to talk to, you know what I mean, because we need that. You know, the same support we had when we were in there. If I was going through something, um, when I moved into the wing, which I know I could come to your cell and be like, hey, Rich, you know, um, you know, I'm going through it right now. You know, and you come out at the unlock and, and you know, we, we get through it. You know, it's the same thing out here. You know, we're human beings. We, we go through things, you know, whether it's the ups and downs of life or was this stuff that I'm dealing with because it, it, it's a heavy load. But uh, somebody's got to do this job. And um, who better than somebody that's been there on both sides? You yeah. Know, um, and can help people understand and get them through stuff. And so I do a, a lot of other little work that I, I'm that, that helps me get through this stuff. And so, like, I take kids to games, you know, River Cats games, Sacramento Kings games. Um, we even went to a soccer match, you know. Um, I fa- we facilitate some groups similar to what cool, we were man. facilitating in there, but for youngsters out here. So, you know, I, I find my space to, uh, you know, find the things that lighten my load. It's say. I hang out with guys and go to weddings, you know, and bachelor <laughs> yeah. parties at racetracks, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that NASCAR race you went to. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't expecting that, but, but I had fun. <laughs> yeah, we had a good time. Yeah. Uh, James, uh, one of the things I wanted to bring up was, uh, let's see, uh, when, oh, man, I lost my train of thought uh, a minute ago. You shared... Okay, yeah, you shared about doing some of the trainings with the youth, and I was curious on how they responded to it. Oh man, they um, they 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 love it. You know, they they eat it up. You know, it's all about how it's a quote that somebody ounce said it, but I just remember you always sharing it, always sharing it. And it's you know when we would go um, and we would train up the um, college kids, right. or, or we would be going into Palma or whatever we were going to do, and um, you would say people don't care what you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. And once you get kids to understand that you care about them, and sometimes though out here it takes different ways. Yeah. It uh so like I go to schools, I pull up at schools, they know me now at the school, so I say I need to talk to this kid, and they'll go get him, um, or I pull up at their house, or I'll pull up, you know, wherever at the park and they like, okay, this dude is persistence. You know, this, this dude really must care, you know? And, um, so then when we go into the classroom now right. and we're breaking down a concept and they're um, listening. yeah, they're listening, they're, they're, they're into it. And, um, cause they know, um, I learned, so I was watching, um, I learned a lot from this little documentary called men built for others. Um, a lot of people know it. It's about the war easy company. And um, even though we we were in a different battle right. and we were in different troops, um, I feel we 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 bonded like that. Um, band of brothers, yeah, band of brothers. And so one of the things one of the guys said because one of the leaders was gambling with the men, and he said, "Never put yourself in a position to take from the men." And so I always remember that. And so what I do is every time I'm working with the youth, I make sure I'm never in a position to take something from them. And that could look different ways. And so I never want to take their trust from them. And so if I tell them I'm going to do something, I, I do it. If I, so I under 
promise and overachieve, you know, yep. if that makes sense. Be so yeah. they'll never feel that I'm letting them down, you know. And so that's that's what I do. They're real receptive to me. Um, I have some good stories. I have some bad about them. But um, overall, it's, it's, it's so rewarding. I've been inside Juvenile Hall also to, to visit some youngsters and work with them. Um, and it's just amazing. Um, recently, like we talked about, I, I, I've been talking to a couple uh, college classes over Zoom. Mm -hmm. But recently, this this week, I went and um, talked in person to a college. Um, and it was just amazing the the way they took in everything that At we UC were sharing Santa with Cruz, them. right? Yes. It, it was amazing. We had some old friends on Zoom on the screen. And you were um, actually in the college campus? Yes. Got showed around the college campus. It's beautiful. You know, it was, yeah, it was just an amazing experience, you know, and um, it just every time we do something like that, it just feels like that's where I'm supposed to be at that exactly. moment. Exactly. Yeah. And I think uh, one of my philosophies in life, I said, no matter how hard things are, there's a lesson or lessons mm -hmm. and blessings in it. And if you can wrap your mind around that perspective and find no matter what I'm in, there's a lesson in it. And I think all that all the time in there was preparing you for time like this. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know what it's like to suffer, whether it's. Mm -hmm some of the things you went through in your upbringing or being in there for so long uh, as a result of some of our choices and whether a length of time is, you know, can be debated, but all of that you used to be a blessing to others. Mm -hmm. And I said it that night on that phone call to you, you know, you, you have the ability, you have the gift to contain the, the suffering of others. Mm -hmm. A lot of people want to get away from the suffering of others, mm -hmm. but something about the way that God has gifted you is you're willing to go to it. Uh, to be of help and to to be a gift to them with uh, the time and talents that you have. That's um, that's one of the reasons that you know that I always say the most transformed man I know yeah, well, because I uh, it's um it's a passion for you and there's a lot of rewards there. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of rewards there. Yeah, there is, and um, I can imagine what it's like for you to see them, the kids playing basketball or, or mm -hmm. coaching them and seeing them run and the freedom. And the futures that they have, and they don't have to go down that path that you have and just pouring your heart and soul mm -hmm. into sharing all the things that you could have been told or you wish you were told. And Yeah, almost definitely. I, I was talking to somebody earlier, I think today, and one of the things we were talking about uh, was about youth, some youth programs that we're, we're planning out here in Sacramento. And um, I told him it's consistency also, you know, you, 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 we can show up, we can give a seminar, we can show up and, and visit them, you know, um, like the, the, the programs inside of prison, you know, the we care programs, they, they bring the children in there. We, we talk to them for a day, but guess what? After they leave, they got to go back to their same lives, you know, the same people. And so they don't have that contact with us anymore. Um, so what I try to do and what I believe everybody should do that's working with youth, especially youth is coming from neighborhoods and, and from, you know, childhoods and, and households that are, are dysfunctional is be consistent, right. you know, stay in their lives. Don't just, you know, and again, remember this quote, if you are working with youth or, or anybody that's struggling with an addiction or a mental illness or anything that people and children who need the most love ask for it in the most loving ways. Mm -hmm. So if you understand that you have to be more committed to to them than they are to looking for evidence to say everybody's going to give up on me. And so that's what I do. You know, um, yeah. I don't care if they're hollering or yelling, or if they go back to the jail or whatever, um, I'm going to show up. Yeah. You know, and love, I always say love wins the day. I mean, yeah. a lot of most parents, they want compliance. Yeah. Do what I said because I said it. And sure enough, I mean, uh, 
yeah, respect your mom, respect your dad yeah. and, and do what they you said if it's right because they said it. But if you just always are at, expecting them to be com compliant yeah. without love, it's going to be very hard. No, it's, it's going to be impossible. Um, we already know there's a difference, but most people don't, that there's a difference between respect and fear. Mm -hmm. So you can tell me, you know, don't do something and tell me about some consequences, right? But if I don't respect it and I don't really understand um, the, my belief isn't in line with that, then I'm going to do it anyway and think that I'm going to get away with it because everybody thinks they're sharp and especially youngsters. Right. Yep. And so to have the respect where if they're doing something that you don't like and they know you'll be embarrassed or they know you'll be let down by what they're doing, that will keep them from doing something more so than you trying to scare them with some, you know, consequences. Right. But you should have consequences. I'm not saying don't have consequences, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Like it's a difference between fear and respect. And also look in the mirror. I mean, mm -hmm. look at look, look how you contributed to, to the, the way things are right now yeah. and realize it starts with you. Yeah, well, that's hard for a lot of people to do. You know, we, we talk about that all the time, especially for ourselves. How many times that we want to just keep? Um, you remember when we used to walk in, into to a wing in at Solidad, and you know, all, it, it's like a whole line, just a hallway, and you got all these windows in the door. And how many people would just be sitting there, standing there, looking out the window, looking right. out the window? Like, but how many people took their time to look in the mirror? the mirror right. and say, you know, what's going on with me? All they want to know is what's going on outside, exactly. you know, not what's going on in here. And some parent might be saying, well, my son or daughters, they're on the phone too much. Well, who gave them the phone? Yeah. Who, who gave them and the phone? And who, who didn't set the, 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 the rules early on. Exactly. And now you want to get mad and walk it back and look in the mirror, see where it started off with you. And then, mm -hmm. yeah. So I, I, it's just a more empowering way to live your life. It, it really goes across all areas of your life, whether it's yeah. parenting or, or um, being a responsible citizen or, or on your, on the job, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, always, always looking at yourself first and seeing how did I contribute to this? Yeah, exactly. Um, that, that's where the power is at. You know, again, we're not absolving anybody or any system of their responsibility or their, you know, whatever they did to contribute to it. We're just saying, well, how did you contribute? So maybe you can change the outcome in your life if you want different results. Now, if you're yeah. okay with the results you're getting, then, hey, who cares? Keep blaming everybody. Is that, is, um, is it called Mutual Assistance Network? Yes, sir. Is that, is that organization in, in other towns or cities? No, it's right here. It's just here in Sacramento. But again, we have um, a vast network here in Sacramento and Black Child Legacy Campaign is in seven. Now it's in eight because they just started one in Rancho Cordova, but it's in eight um, communities here in Sacramento. So you can always um, find find that resource online and get connected, um, find yeah. ways to uh, give back. I mean, we do a lot of pop-ups. We do, you know, a lot of different things for the youth um, and um, and for the family. So, yeah, just get involved. Yeah. And I know with crop organization, I mean, it's, it's, uh, we're, we're set in the next year mm -hmm. to definitely want to bring you on board as a coach. Mm -hmm. Been a long time coming, mm -hmm. but, uh, I, I imagine it would be hard, uh, to either break away from this work or to find a way to continue to meld it because it seems like, um, almost like you're supposed to, so not only say supposed to be doing that, but that it brings you, that you're perfect for it because of the, because of the level of how much you love people and the youth. 
Yeah, so so most definitely. So what I've been doing um, for a long time, because I've been waiting for a long time, <laughs> is, um, you know, I, I've been making connections and, and I've been um, getting myself involved, you know, not just with stuff that I have going on with them, but outside of that also so that I can remain active in the community and active in some of the work that I'm doing. Obviously, I, I won't be on call and I won't be showing up in certain um, with certain hats on that I'm doing now. But I will still be, you know, engaged in certain things like the kings and queens, um, you know, showing up, mentoring some of the the, the youth. You know, I, I have a youth right now that I'm working with that he's not on my caseload anymore um, because he's outside of the service area. He's in, you know, um, foster care and whatnot. But we, we're still connected. You yeah, know, we're, we're still connected, you know, um, and I just believe that those type of relationships will serve um, them to understand that, you know, people are different and some people do love them unconditionally and will be there for them. Well, you know that one of the phrases that we use uh, at Crop sometimes is uh, when trying to get people or attempting to get people to consider mm -hmm. other perspectives mm -hmm. is something to consider. Mm -hmm. And the other day um, I had a conversation with Ted. I was like, hey, think about the work that James is doing over there. And, you know, we have our leadership development at CROP. We have, you know, mm. digital and financial literacy and the tech training. I said, but what if we had an arm of what he was doing right there? And and, and he let he's like, man, that's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, so, we'll de so, it definitely will so, be, yeah, so be a good something idea. Something to consider of a conversation yeah. there. Yeah. What if I uh, led that arm and, and we don't want to take away from what mutual assistance network is doing, but uh, definitely be a collaborators. I don't know. The future is bright. So, yeah. Ideas. Know, most definitely, you know, um, I never, you know, one of the things that I've learned, you know, through our leadership development, um, personal development is, you know, um, is it doesn't always have to be uh, either or. Both and. Yeah. Both it, and. It, yeah. So, you know, there's ways to get things done. James, the other day, you, you see Santa Cruz, you were uh, talking, you were trying to sell some books, Men Built for Others. <laughs> well, and, I wasn't uh, even trying. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you were doing Right. Uh, you were talking, well, you shared that you talked about it. Yeah. So, you know, to the audience here, why, why should they get a book? What's the, the philosophy? It, our scholarship, a hundred percent of the proceeds from this book goes towards the men and women built for other scholarship. It used to be men built for others. Mm. We transformed it. And, um, we do have a second scholarship recipient. His name is Job. Mm. And then, and then, and the next scholarship recipient will be a, a young girl in high school. And, um, and so, um, what do you say to those, to the philosophy of men and women built, men and women built for others and to those who would, uh, consider purchasing a book? Well, I would say first and foremost, you know, um, we, 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 we always think about what, what can we do? Like, People always say, well, what can I do? What can I do? Um, and sometimes people feel helpless. Well, this is one of the things you can do. Just a small thing is buying a book will send, will, will help send a, a young person um, into an opportunity, not just a school, but into an opportunity because these youngsters are, are chosen from, you know, diverse backgrounds, but backgrounds and where they're at that, 
they might not can be successful because of their surroundings. And so they're transformed into this surrounding like Palma High School, which I don't know the exact numbers. And sometimes I like to make them up. So I'm going to just say 95 percent of the kids that graduate from Palma um, go to whatever college they want to go to. Yeah. You know, and we know some of them personally, you know, they're going to Notre Dame. They're going to Stanford, Princeton, all these different schools. Yep. And so why not, you know, um, Get a book, put it on your bookshelf, give it to somebody if you don't want to read it. But I I would challenge people to consider this, that I don't care um, what you're doing in life. There's always room for improvement. And you like, okay, you you can go, you can get the Tony Robbins. You can go, you know, read a John Maxwell book or or watch one of his tapes or whatever. And you'll get some great information out of it. And they'll, they'll tell you how to transform your life and all that. And um, it might work for you, but I, I want you to consider this. Who better to talk about how to transform something and make something great than 11 men, like you said, 11 men who all had life sentences. And when they wrote that book and they put their chapters in that book, none of them had dates. All of them thought or believed that they might die in prison. Yeah. And now not, not one of them is still in prison. Every one of them is out here. You talk about transformation and not just out here in society, but thriving. Yep. I don't know any one of those men no. that are that. And look, I'm not trying to knock jobs. It's like you said, everybody needs a, it, everybody needs to contribute to society. Everybody needs a job, but not one of those men are working at McDonald's or any kind of you know th- job like that. Yeah. The majority of them are working in positions where they're actively engaged and adding value to their community exactly. in one way or another. That's transformation. You know, so if you're already working a great job and you got a little money in the bank, but maybe your, 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 you know, your relationships ain't that good. Read something out of that book. I bet you, you know, you can find a way to transform something in your life. Absolutely. I look forward to, I mean, you shared your reentry story, a little bit about it. We could go on and on. I look forward to having guys like next, we're going to have um, uh, Chris Wachnick. He's in chapter one. And then, but I'm looking forward to uh, guys like Arcadio yeah. Acuna, who's yes. in his 70s now, Man. 20 years in the shoe. In the shoe. 20 years in the shoe. Yeah, and for you guys that don't know, that's, that's the prison within a prison. Yeah. And a straight isolation. And came and, and did a lot of great stuff while he was still in prison, when he got out the shoe, and, and continued to thrive that's and great. add value. Yeah. So, James, I love you, bro. I love you too, glad, brother. I'm glad Thank you're you. on the show. And uh, I just want to share that um, you can check out the book on Amazon. You can go to our website, uh, created a book, a recommended books page. Check that out. Come to our website at croporganization.org. You can visit us on the, on our social media channels there. It'll show you there, give links to where we're at. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, LinkedIn, and, you know, follow us, uh, follow the prison post on um, YouTube or Spotify, you know, Stitcher, Apple iTunes, uh, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts. Check us out. This is our 41st video cast with James Willock. We're here in Darling New Media Podcast Studios in Sacramento. If you're looking to start a podcast, you want to know something about it, you can reach out to Nate Darling here. But again, you know, Crop Organization, Creating Restorative Opportunities and Programs. James Willock is top-notch person who's out here doing it after uh, 28 years and 10 months. Don't want to forget the 10 months. <laughs> And um, that's really what's no, nobody has gone through our organization has recidivated 
Um, and we truly are creating uh, restorative opportunities for those to come out here and live and thrive in society and give back to their communities and be the pe people that they were meant to be. So check us out. And this has been another episode of The Prison Post. Peace. Thank you for listening to The Prison Post, a production of the Crop Organization. We'll be sharing more stories from the world of prison reform and restorative justice. So please join us. You can listen to The Prison Post on all major podcasting platforms. Subscribe to our video cast on YouTube and like us on Facebook at The Prison Post and at Creating Restorative Opportunities and Programs. <laughs>